Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So I remember when I was uh, a kid, there would be a few times I'd wake up in the middle of the night and my legs were just on fire. I mean, they were just, I mean, just so painful. I wake up and I was crying because I'm already disoriented, not sure what's going on uh, with, with everything when I wake up and I'm in pain. And so I, my parents would come in and they would figure, I'm like, my legs, my legs hurt, my legs hurt. And it's like, well, nothing's broken, nothing's bleeding. It's just growing pains, right? That was the thing. And when you go through that in the moment, it's not fun or pleasant, but it's, natu- it's a natural progression. It is a good thing. And we just have to figure out how to work through it. And so today we're continuing our year in the Bible, and we're starting the second series in that called Growing Pains. And we're kind of in the next phase where God's people are now have more of an identity of who they are, and they have this promised land that's right in front of them. And so the next phase for them and then for us and the Bible is them entering, conquering, settling in the promised land. But with that, all these new changes are going to come some growing pains, are going to come some things that are new for them, different for them, uncharted territory, which maybe was a better title for this series than that, but it's too late. I'm too far in. I can't change it now. But anyway, uh, there are a lot of new things, which are good, right? Sometimes we reject change, but there's a lot of good to change if it's good change. But we still like, no, I like the way things were. It was more comfortable. I was more, it was more convenient. I just knew what to do. I worked on reflex, and now it's all different. I don't know how to live or anything. So that's kind of what Israel goes through over the course of a couple hundred years or so here. They go through these growing pains. So what we're going to see today is sort of the next leader in leading this first part of these growing pains. We're going to look at the life of Joshua. So if we're following through chronologically in the Bible, that is the next book in the Old Testament, is the book named after this man, Joshua, who takes over after Moses. And so we're going to see, here's the question that I want to ask you today as we're getting into this series, Growing Pains. I want to ask you, do you have what it takes? That's the question that we're going to ask. That's the question that Joshua had to ask and answer. He had to ask, do I have what it takes? And we'll look at how that, how that looked in his life. So he had to ask and answer this question. Really what he had to do was possess certain qualities and meet, uh, sort of answer certain questions and learn certain lessons in order to accomplish what God had planned for him. He had to ask himself over and over again in different ways, do I have what it takes? And we're going to ask ourselves the same question. To successfully live a life of faith to live how God wants us to live and do what he has called us to do, do we have what it takes? We'll see this in different ways, multiple ways, and it's all going to add up for Joshua to how he became a great leader of people and what it took for him to do that and how we can do the same. So there there are really three qualities that we will look at through the life of Joshua, the story of Joshua, and see if we can apply these to our lives to have what it takes. The first character trait, the first quality that Joshua had to have to do what it takes was to have patience. 
The first quality for Joshua was patience. We're going to start in Deuteronomy because this is sort of the handoff of the baton from Moses to Joshua. What we're really going to do here at the beginning is read Moses' obituary, if you will. And we'll see why that's important for Joshua here, even as we read it. You'll see why. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 5 through 12. And here's what it says. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. The Lord buried him in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab, but to this day no one knows the exact place. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear. Wow, that's amazing, right? And he was as strong as ever. The people of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for 30 days until the customary period of mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. There has ne- now we, but now we go back to Moses, okay? There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. So again, I know that's a lot about Moses, but that's the point. The first quality Joshua had to have to have what it took for him to do what God called him to do was to have patience. He had to have patience in serving Moses for 40 years. It's a long time to be number two in an organization, 40 years. That's a long time to serve the head guy in charge, 40 years, but Joshua had to do that. He lived in Moses' shadow constantly. When you, when you think about in Exodus 19 and 20, when Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments and the law of God, you know who goes with him? Joshua goes with him. Now, he can't go all the way to the top. He's got to kind of stay at the second level here while Moses goes by himself to the top, but Joshua was there from the beginning as a probably fairly young man here. He's following Moses. He's sort of the assistant coach of Israel, if you will. Now, for a while, this is great, okay? For a while, following a great leader is a lot of fun. You're learning a lot and experiencing a lot, but you're not really responsible for a lot. That's a sweet spot to be in for a while, right? However, after a while, I'm going to guess Joshua's probably chomping at the bit here. He's like, okay, Mo, it's time for you to go, okay? It's time. It's my time now. I followed you and served you faithfully for decades. I'm not getting any younger, and I I don't want to, you know, it's kind of like somebody talked about the queen and the prince, you know. It's like the prince, you know, of England right now, Charles. He's probably thinking, I'm kind of already old, and I'm not even the king yet. Like, come on, mom. I'm not not saying he wants his mom to die, but, you know, it's Charles. He maybe wants his mom to die. I'm just saying. I'll edit that out for YouTube because I'll get blocked for that probably. Just kidding. But Joshua's probably saying, when's it my time? Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. That's Joshua. That's me. You know, there's a chance that he's already thinking that. But it even says, when we read the obituary of Moses, at 120 when he dies, 2020 vision and as strong as ever. So Joshua can't say, well, this guy's losing his step. He can't lead an insurrection because that's not going to fly. People are like, no, I'm pretty sure he's doing a great job. I'm pretty sure we'd have, we'd have him forever if we could. Like if he could be eternal, immortal, we would be okay with that. Sorry, Josh, you know, no big deal. It's not you. Well, it is you, right? That's the problem. So Joshua had to show patience in following Moses for that long. But here's the thing. In reality, um, you you really, really are chomping at the bit. You want the job until you get the job, right? You want the job until you get the job. It's hard to follow a legend, 
So let me give you an example. Now I'm going to use maybe another, you know, maybe you have different thoughts about this person, but this is the best one I could think of, a sports analogy here. Okay, so don't, don't tune your ears off if you don't like sports. This is a good analogy, okay? It's a good one. So Bob Knight, you know, basketball coach, Hall of Fame guy. Now you might not, you know, I don't like his style. He yells at the kids and he throws chairs and all that. Okay, we're going to, you know, just as a coach, legendary. I want to show you how hard it is to follow a legend. So let me give you some stats. Bob Knight coached at Indiana for 29 seasons. In those 29 years, he won 73% of his games. He made it to five Final Fours, three, and he won three championships. And in 29 seasons, he only missed the final tournament five times. So he has as many Final Four appearances as years he missed the tournament altogether. And for the first half of those 29 years, there was a lot fewer teams getting into the tournament. So you've got to be the best of the best of the best for more than half of the time in his career. So those are the stats for 29 years. In the 21 years since then, there have been four coaches who have won a total. So he won 73% of his games. They won a total of 57% of their games. There's only been one final four appearance in those 21 years compared to five in 29 years. Zero championships. And again, 29 years, only five times he missed the tournament. 21 years, 11 times that team has missed the NCAA tournament. So again, the assistant coaches behind Bob Knight are probably like, okay, dude, you're getting older, you're losing a step, the game has changed, I want in. They get the job and they're like, oh wait, this is really hard. I don't know if I really want to do this anymore. It was a lot more fun when you were the one yelling at refs and yelling at players and throwing chairs and I'm sitting here watching like, oh, this is awesome. Now that I'm the one in charge, yeah, I want to throw stuff too. You know, it's like, yeah, it's not fun. So we want to be there. We're chomping at the bit till we get there. So we have to have patience, have to have patience. So he showed patience with Moses, but he also has to show patience with the people because if you remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Joshua 40 years before this point, when he's taken over, he is chosen as one of 12 men to spy out the promised land. He comes back with his buddy Caleb, and they're seeing all these amazing things. The land flows with milk and honey. I mean, clusters of grapes that takes two men to carry in. It's amazing. This is nothing like we've ever seen before. And they tell their report, but the 10 other spies, they see all the negatives here. All these foreign people don't want us moving in, and they're going to attack us, and they're huge, they're giants. We were like grasshoppers in their sight, and this bad report spreads to all the people, and God says, okay, if you're not going to trust me and believe in me to get you where I told you I was going to get you, then you're going to die in the desert and wander until the next generation can do that. So Caleb and Joshua are the only two people in the whole country above the age of 20 who actually make it into the promised land. So I can imagine Joshua, a few years into this, kind of getting irritated with the other people. This is your guys' fault. I had the good report. I had faith. I believed. You guys doubted. This is on you. This is your fault, right? So I, Now, it doesn't say he did that, but I can only imagine Joshua being a human being, an actual person, probably had some resentment building up. But we don't see that, so what he had to have instead was patience. He had to learn to pick his spots to fight his battles, to see, okay, I'm not going to make a big stink here because they're going to be dead anyway, so what's the point, right? They're going to die out here in the desert, so it doesn't, rubbing their nose in, it's not going to help. So he had to learn to check his heart and watch his words. That's patience. I think we can maybe learn some things about how Joshua showed patience not only with Moses, but with people around him. And there's one example I'll share quickly. Um, So Joshua, the famous story of Joshua is this battle of Jericho, right? Joshua had to show patience with God in this specific scenario. 
So in Joshua chapter 5, God is giving these instructions. Hey, there's this huge fortified walled city, Jericho. I'm going to give this to you. And so Joshua's probably like, yes, this is great. We're going to fight and battle and, you know, it's going to be amazing and epic. And it's, you know, they're going to make movies about this. And God's like, here's, here's your instruction. Without talking, quietly march around the walls of the city every day for six days. That's the battle plan. I'm like, wait, wait, what? No, 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 we're going we're gonna to kill some dudes. We're going to slaughter some people. You know, we're going to break some skulls. Just, yeah! And God's like, no, 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 no. You, that's not what I said. I said you're going to, every day for six days, you're going to just quietly without talking march around the city. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times. That's the battle plan. Those are the instructions. That is the assignment. So Joshua has to show some patience here. He could try to go rogue and say, you know what, guys? You know what God told me to do? He said, we're going to go in and take the city. We're going to do it. That would not have worked. They would have failed. Right? That, that's not, that wasn't the plan. So, so, not Moses, Joshua had to show patience with God in following God's instructions. That is what it took for Joshua to succeed. And I believe that to succeed in life and in our life of faith, we also need patience. How many of you would be honest and say you've been impatient with God before? Yeah. We've been impatient with God before. We have. Something hasn't happened yet that I thought God was going to come through. Maybe he failed. Maybe he forgot. This thing that I know he's going to do is taking way too long. This process is way too painful. I don't want to keep waiting on God to do what I think he's going to do or what he said he's going to do. And what happens when we get impatient is we crash. So 11 years ago, this last week, Jackson and I were in a, a car accident. Some of you heard, know the story. So he was like two and a half maybe. And so we're driving down the street, going about 45 miles an hour, and this huge truck um, comes out. He's trying to get out. He's impatient. He thinks he can beat us to come out and go the other way. So he cuts in front of us, being impatient, and I see him coming. I'm like, he's not going to make it. <laughs> we're not going to make it. So I try to move out of the way, try to swerve out of the way. He clips our front end. We end up on upside down in the car, right? Not a good situation. And so that's, but that's what happens when we are impatient. We crash. When we get ahead of God, we crash. When we get ahead of God, we get lost. We become impatient. Bad things always happen. If we're impatient in life and we get ahead of God, there is an impact. If we're impatient with others, we can then, instead of getting ahead of God, we get behind with other people. We can implode relationships because we're not patient with them. We don't show grace to them. We ruin, we fracture, we destroy relationships due to impatience. So the call here is to be like Joshua, to check our heart, to hold our tongue, to be patient. When things are going internally, think about it. Don't just let it sit there and boil it. Think, okay, why do I feel this way? What has happened to cause me to be angry with them? What has happened that I'm frustrated with God here? What is actually on a deeper level than just how I feel? What's going on to cause that feeling internally? What do I do with that to be constructive? Maybe the words that you're about to say to someone, maybe just take five quick seconds and think, is this going to be constructive or destructive to know whether to say it or not? The things that we are maybe saying on a regular basis and we're like, okay, why do people keep thinking I'm a jerk? Maybe because you keep being a jerk, right? Maybe, maybe things add up. So maybe we want to think about how we speak to people, how we act and react to people and say, okay, am I being a person of patience? Because patience pays off. That is what it takes to succeed in life, in relationships, and in our spiritual life. It takes patience. That is what it takes. 
So the second thing that, that Joshua had to have what it took and what we have to have what it takes is authenticity. Authenticity is the second character trait or marker to have what it takes. So this is also Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8. This, is, was, this was referenced to earlier in what we read from Deuteronomy 34. So it says this, verse 7, Then Moses called for Joshua, and as all Israel watched, he said to him, Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors he would give them. You are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of land. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Again, Joshua is following Moses, a legend. That's hard. It's nearly impossible. So with this, there are two temptations, I believe, that Joshua would have faced. Two, two, and both of these are wrong, by the way. Spoiler alert. Two temptations for Joshua in following this legend of Moses. The first one is he might be tempted to replace Moses or think he's replacing Moses. So when the people come to him and they say, well, Moses would have done it this way, forget about him. It's my time. I'm the captain now. You know, it's, it's sort of that scenario. I'm in charge. Moses had his 40, 40 years or so. He's done. He's over. It's a new regime, new era. It's my time. I'm doing how, how things, things I want them to go. That's how I'm going to do them, right? He'd be tempted, I think, to try to replace Moses. The other temptation, I think, would be to replicate Moses, Okay, to be Moses, basically, trying to be a carbon copy. He may have had the, a wristband, WWMD, what would Moses do? Maybe he, had, you know, he would be tempted to have one of those bracelets and hand them out to everybody. Whenever you're about to do anything, think, what would Moses do, right? He'd be tempted to always second-guess himself compared to what Moses might do, what he might say, how he might lead. He might be always wondering, do the people respect me like they respected Moses? I mean, I know they revered that guy. Do they even really care that I exist at all? He would always be comparing himself to this guy. But both of these, a feeling of replacement or replication, both come out of a place of insecurity. But, and so what, what Joshua had to do was the opposite. He had to be authentic. That's what it took. He had to be himself. He had to lead his way. He had to be comfortable in his own skin because God had a specific mission for him. Joshua could not lead like Moses. They had different jobs. So think of Moses like a quarterback, okay? The quarterback is going to march the team to the goal line, okay? That's what Moses did, got him right to the edge. Joshua is a fullback. He's going to pound the ball past the in, into the end zone to score. That, they're different roles, the fullback is not the quarterback. The quarterback is not the fullback, okay? They are different positions. They have different things that they're supposed to do. So Moses got them. He marched them through the desert for 40 years to get them to the point right there on the goal line. But Joshua had a different job, different game plan, get them all the way through. He had to be the leader the people needed, so he had to be himself. He had to be authentic. Authenticity is what it took for Joshua. I believe, unfortunately, authenticity is lacking in our culture. Now, there's a fake authenticity that is rampant in our culture, but it's not, and I'll tell you why in just a second. But I think what I see a lot when I look at our modern culture, there's a lot of copycats, a lot of posers, a lot of wannabes, okay? What we need are authentic people. What our society needs is authentic people. So God wants you to embrace your gifts and your talents that he's designed you with, 
He wants you to embrace your personality, the way that he hardwired you on purpose. And God wants you to be who he made you to be. But notice what Moses says to Joshua in this sort of moment here, the passing of the baton. He says, don't be afraid. So the reason that people are not authentic is because of fear. We think, okay, if I'm really me, will people accept me or will they reject me? If I'm really who I feel like God made me to be, is there going to be any blowback from that? And we do this personally in relationships. We do it online. Like, I mean, if you're, on, if you're not on social media, God bless you. Your life is so much better for it. I'm telling you, okay? It's just can sometimes be just a cesspool of nastiness because people are like, I'm going to say this, and then, oh, you're an idiot. You know, I just gave my, I just quoted a Bible verse. No, you're a bigot because you believe the Bible. It's, it's awful, guys. It's terrible, right? So we, even, on, even on like social media, being authentic can be a scary thing. There's fear involved. Should I say that how I feel? Should I say, well, the Bible says this. That's authentic, right? It's just a scary thing. And this is the irony of our modern culture. So it's the idea of cancel culture. So here's, here's the irony that I've discovered recently with this idea. Is the people who are against or who are in favor of cancel culture, they seem like they're against it, right? So the same people who say, yeah, be you, be authentic, be your true self, are the same people who, if you don't agree with their version of what yourself means, will try to destroy your life. It's the same people. They put this message out there, oh yeah, you can be whatever you want to be, as long as it's what I think you should be. What, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, how am I supposed to live? That's why we can't live according to the culture it will drive you crazy. It is confusing. It doesn't make sense. It's counterproductive, counterintuitive. It is awful. So that's why we have to live authentically the way that God made us to be. That's the only true authentic self is the one that God made us to be. And God needs you to be authentically you. He needs that. The scripture says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So yes, we're all made in God's image, but we're made specifically how he designed each of us to be. So God is calling you, each of you, to do things that only you can do. God is calling you to reach people that only you can reach. So here's the thing. I'm a better me than you are, and you're a better you than I am. Okay? So if we can learn that, that's authenticity. I'm a better me than you are. I'm going to be who God made me to be and, and reach the people he's called me to reach that only I can reach. And you're a better you than I am. I'm going to let him use you in whatever ways that are creative and things that I wouldn't think to do or that I wouldn't be comfortable with. Or That's not me, right? That's how it's designed to be. That's why I think Paul says over and over in his letters, he talks about the metaphor of the body of Christ. If this whole body were a bunch of right arms, it's not going to be very useful. Okay, just imagine that. If my body's a bunch of eyes, that's like from a sci-fi novel. That's not helpful. So we need the body to have all the different parts to do all the different things to accomplish the purposes of God. But it requires, what it takes is authenticity. Each of us doing our thing in the way that God designed us to live to make this thing work, to do what he's called us to do, reach the people he's called us to reach, to fulfill his purpose for our own lives. That's what it takes. Here's the last thing that it takes is commitment commitment. Joshua was obviously committed to Moses for 40 years. We know he was committed, but so we have sort of this, uh, again, Moses laying his hands on Joshua, commissioning him, you're the next guy, but then Moses is dead, so God then appears to him 
and gives him, he says, here, you've been committed to Moses and the people, you've done a great job, but let me remind you of your greatest and highest commitment. So this is Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. This is God speaking to Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. And then here's the commitment. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. So God's commissioning to Joshua is, hey, remember your ultimate commitment is to me. Your ultimate commitment is to my word, to my instructions, to my direction. Take that same commitment that you had for Moses, multiply it by a million, and devote it all to me. That's what God is reminding him of here. And it's not, he's not saying just because. See, that's a mistake that we can get into sometimes. God just has rules because he's, you know, guy in the sky who wants to ruin my life and rule my life and tell me what to do just because. That's not why. He tells him why. He says, only then will you really have success in all you do. He gives him the carrot on the stick here. Yes, follow me, commit to me, but here's the payoff. Only then will you be successful in all you do. That's the commitment that God is asking for Joshua here. That's what it takes. That's what it took for him to succeed. And we see this commitment in action. So we already referenced the story of Jericho. Right before this story happens, there's an interesting thing here I wanted to point out to show his commitment in action, okay? This is Joshua chapter 5, and this is verses 13, 14, and 15. A really interesting thing here I want to point out. Joshua 5, 13. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this... Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. Do what you want, what do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. So Joshua sees this strange figure. He doesn't recognize this guy. He tries to go and ID him, you know, you need to see, make sure that you're on our side or not. And the man says, Well, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Joshua's response to him, I think, is so important because what he could say is, no, actually, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Like, I'm Joshua. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm in charge of this whole operation. Like, God put me in charge. Moses placed his hands on me to be in charge. I'm the commander, right? That's my job, my title. But he didn't do that because he had such a commitment to God, it increased his spiritual awareness to know this guy is different. Like this figure, this person, there's an otherness to him. And so there's some, you know, debate. It wasn't an angel, probably. Could it have been sort of pre-incarnate Christ? Possibly. Uh, I won't get into all that, the details of that. But it's interesting to think about, to study about. But there is an, uh, there's a supernatural quality to this person that because Joshua had a commitment to God, to this deep-seated level, he saw, okay, this guy is really the commander. Like, I'm maybe still second in command after all. 
And he was okay with that. He bowed in reverence. He took off his shoes as this person, this figure, told him. So the spiritual commitment that Joshua had increased his spiritual awareness. What it shows about his commitment is that he wasn't committed to himself, ultimately. It wasn't all about his plan or his wisdom or his idea or his position or his title. He wasn't committed to himself. He wasn't reliant on himself or his plan or his title. Joshua remembered what God said at the very beginning when he called him. Rely on me. Commit to me. That's the only way you'll have success. He had to have that commitment. And then at the end of Joshua's life, he does what Moses did at the end of his life. He gathers all the people around for a farewell address. And he takes this moment to then make a call to commitment to the people. So here's what he says. We're going to read a couple of different scriptures here as we begin to wrap it up. Joshua 23, verses 6 through 8. And then we'll be in Joshua 24 as well. So Joshua 23, verse 6. This is Joshua to the people. He says, So be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. Do not deviate from it, turning either to the right or to the left. Make sure you do not associate with the other people still remaining in the land. Do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them or serve them or worship them. Rather, cling tightly to the Lord your God as you have done until now. Now skip down to chapter 24. He's continuing his speech here. Joshua 24, verse 14. Joshua says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. That's commitment. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. That's commitment. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. It's a call to commitment. Joshua's like, I know it's not easy to be committed. I understand it's hard. I understand there's frustration. I understand there's questions and there's worry involved. I get that. I understand there's moments of weakness. I don't really want to be committed. I want to do my own thing. But he's saying this is the only way to succeed. And you have to choose who you're going to serve. You have to choose. Commitment is a choice, is what he's saying. And I believe that Joshua would say the same thing to us today that he said to Israel. I believe he would say to us today, just as I followed God's guidance, you must follow God's guidance to succeed. Just as I was committed to God's direction, you must commit to God's direction in order to succeed. Just as I was led by God's word, you must allow God's word to lead you in order to succeed. I believe Joshua today would tell us, don't seek popularity because it will sway your commitment. Don't pursue the easy way, but commit to God's way. I believe that Joshua would say, live a life of commitment over and above a life of comfort and convenience. It's the only way you will succeed. Now, do you know how I know that Joshua would tell us this today? I know this because the Hebrew pronunciation of Joshua is Yeshua. And there's another Yeshua a few hundred years later that says the same thing. One more verse, Luke 9, 23 then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Who said these words? Yeshua. Jesus. It's the same name. They have, Jesus probably should be Joshua if we're going to be 
completely honest about the Hebrew there, right? So it's Yeshua in the Old Testament, call to commitment, only way you're going to make it. Yeshua, Jesus in the New Testament says, call to commitment, it's the only way you're going to, that's the definition of following Jesus is to commit to him. He says, if you're going to follow me, you can't follow anything else. If I'm going to be number one in your life, there's not one A and one B. There's only one spot for number one, and it's got to belong to me. That's the call to commitment. To be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, is to commit to him. Priority, commitment. Because if you're going to follow me, it's got to be only me. It's a call to commitment. And as corny as this sounds, it is much like a wedding vow. Okay? Jesus is saying here, will you follow me in sickness and in health? Will you follow me for richer or for poorer? Will you follow me till death? That's what Jesus is saying. It's the same call to commitment. Will you follow Jesus if it makes you popular or if it becomes dangerous for you to do so? That's commitment. Will you follow Jesus if it makes you friends or makes you enemies? That's the call. That, that's what it takes. It's a commitment to following Jesus just as it was a commitment for Joshua to do so. And he, called, uh, he calls his people to do, Jesus calls us to do the same thing. So what does a powerful life of faith take? What does it take? It takes patience. To do what God wants you to do, you have to go where he leads you. It takes authenticity. To fulfill God's plan for your life, you have to be who he made you to be and not somebody else. And it requires commitment. To fulfill God's plan, you have to stick to it and see it through. So once more, let me ask you, do you have, do I have, do we have what it takes?